0: Part Seven of the Laevseic History by Palladius, translated by W. K. Lowther Clark, B.D. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Forty-Two: Julian. I have heard of a certain Julian in the region of Edessa, a very ascetic man who wore away his flesh till it was so thin that he carried about only skin and bone. At the very end of his life he was counted worthy of the honor of the gift of healing. Chapter 43 Atholius. Again, I knew a man at Jerusalem named Atholius, a Tarsian by origin, who, having come to Jerusalem, followed eagerly the untrodden road, not that on which most of us walked, but carving out for himself a strange mode of life for his asceticism was superhuman, so that the very demons, trembling at his austerity, dared not approach him. For by reason of his excessive abstinence and his vigils, he was even suspected of being a phantom, for in Lent he would eat at intervals of five days, and the whole rest of the time every other day. But his greatest act of asceticism was this, from evening until the time when the brotherhood began to assemble again in their houses of prayer he would continue on his feet singing psalms and praying on the mount of olives the hill of the ascension whence jesus was taken up and whether it snowed or rained or there was a white frost he remained undaunted so having completed his accustomed time he knocked at the cells of all the monks with his little waking-up knocker, collecting them into the houses of prayer, and in each house singing one or two psalms with them antiphonally, and praying with them. Then he went away to his own cell before daybreak, so that of a truth the brethren often had to undress him and wring out his clothes, as if after the wash, and put other clothes on him. So then, after resting until the hour of psalmody, he applied himself to worship until evening. And so this was the virtue of Atholius the Tarsian, who reached perfection in Jerusalem and died there. Chapter 44. Innocent. You have heard from many the story of the blessed Innocent, the priest of the Mount of Olives, but none the less you will hear it also from us who lived with him for three years. He was simple to an excess. Having been one of the dignitaries of the palace in the early days of the emperor Constantius, he renounced the world, leaving his marriage, by which he had also a son, Paul by name, of the imperial bodyguard. When the latter had sinned with the daughter of a priest, Innocent cursed his own son, beseeching God and saying, Lord, give him such a spirit that his flesh may no longer find opportunity to sin, thinking it better that he should struggle with a demon than with incontinence, which actually happened. At this present moment he is still on the Mount of Olives, wearing irons and chastised by the Spirit how compassionate indeed this innocent was, so that often he himself stole from the brethren and gave to the needy. I shall seem to be talking nonsense if I tell the truth. And he was exceedingly innocent and simple, and was counted worthy of the gift of power over demons. As an example of this, once a young man was brought to him before our eyes taken by a spirit and by paralysis so that i having seen him wished publicly to repel the mother of the man who had been brought since i despaired of his cure well it happened in the meantime that the old man having come up saw her standing and weeping and lamenting over the unspeakable misfortune of her son so the good old man wept and, moved with compassion, took the young man, and entered into his oratory, which he had built with his own hands, and in which relics of John the Baptist were laid. And having prayed over him from the third hour to the ninth, he restored the young man to his mother, cured that same day, having driven out both his paralysis and the demon. His paralysis was such that the boy, when he spat, "'spat on his own back, so twisted was he. "'An old woman, having lost a sheep, came to him in tears, "'and having followed her, he said, "'Show me the place where you lost it.' "'She led him to the neighbourhood of the tomb of Lazarus. "'He stood and prayed. "'But the young men who had stolen it "'anticipated him by killing it. "'So while he prayed, no one confessing, and the meat lying hidden in the vineyard, a crow came from somewhere, and hovered over the place, took a morsel, and flew off again. And the Blessed One, having marked the place, found the slain animal, and so the young men who had killed it fell at his feet, and confessed, and paid, when asked, the proper price of the sheep. CHAPTER Forty Five, FILAROMAS we met in galatea the priest villeromas a most ascetic and enduring man and stayed with him a long time his mother was a maid servant; his father a freeman but he showed such nobility in the christ-like mode of life that even those whose family record was unsurpassable revered his life and virtue he renounced the world in the days of julian the infamous emperor and spoke to him with boldness. Julian ordered him to be shaved and buffeted by boys. He endured the ordeal patiently, and expressed his thanks to Julian, as he told us himself. In his early days war against fornication and gluttony was his lot. He drove out these passions by shutting himself up and wearing irons, and by abstinence from cornbread and all things cooked by fire. After persevering in this course for eighteen years, he sang the hymn of triumph to Christ. Attacked in divers ways by the spirits of wickedness, he abode in one monastery for forty years. He told us this, For thirty-two years I touched no fruit. Once, when timidity attacked him, in order to get rid of it, he shut himself up in a tomb for six years. The blessed Basil, the bishop, took great care of him, rejoicing in his austerity and firmness. Even now he has not renounced the pen and the writing-sheet, though perhaps in his eightieth year. He said, From the time that I was initiated and born again until today, I have never eaten another's bread for nothing, but always as the result of my own labours. Speaking as in the presence of God, he convinced us that he had given to the cripples two hundred and fifty pieces of money earned by the work of his hands, and had never wronged any one. He went on foot even as far as Rome itself, to pray at the martyr chapel of the blessed Peter. He went also as far as Alexandria, to pray at the martyr chapel of Mark. Then he came also a second time to Jerusalem, having gone on his own feet and defrayed his own expenses, and he said this, I do not remember that I was ever absent in my mind from God. CHAPTER 46. MELANIA THE ELDER The thrice-blessed Melania was a Spaniard by origin, but afterwards belonged to Rome. She was the daughter of Marcellinus, the ex-consul, and wife of a certain man of high official rank whom I do not quite remember. Having become a widow at twenty-two, she was favoured with a divine love, and having said nothing to any one, for she would have been prevented, in the time when Valens had the rule in the empire, she had a guardian nominated for her son and took all her movable property and put it on a ship. Then she sailed with all speed to Alexandria, accompanied by various high-born women and children. After that, having sold her goods and turned them into money, she went to the mountain of Nitria, where she met the following fathers and their companions. Pomvo, Arcisius, Serapion the Great, Paphnutius of Scythi, Isidore the Confessor, Bishop of Hermopolis, and Theoscorus, and she sojourned with them for half a year, travelling about in the desert and visiting all the saints. But after this, when the prefect of Alexandria banished Isidore, Pesimius, Adelphius, Paphnutius, and Pomvo, with them also Ammonius Parotus, and twelve bishops and priests to Palestine in the neighborhood of the Ocesaria. she followed them and ministered to them from her own money. But, servants being forbidden them, so they told me, for I met the holy Pesimias and Isidore, and Paphnutius and Ammonius, wearing the dress of a young slave, she brought them in the evenings what they required. But the consular of Palestine got to know of it, and wishing to fill his pocket, thought he would terrify her, and having arrested her he threw her into prison, ignorant that she was a lady. But she told him, For my part I am so-and-so's daughter and so-and-so's wife, but I am Christ's slave, and do not despise the cheapness of my clothing, for I am able to exalt myself if I like, and you cannot terrify me in this way or take any of my goods. So then, I have told you this, lest through ignorance you should incur judicial accusations, for one must in dealing with insensate folk be as audacious as a hawk. Then the judge, recognizing the situation, both made an apology and honored her, and gave orders that she should succour the saints without hindrance. After they were recalled, she founded a monastery in jerusalem and spent twenty-seven years there in charge of a convent of fifty virgins with her lived also the most noble rufinos from italy of the city of Aquileia, a man similar to her in character and very steadfast who was afterwards judged worthy of the priesthood a more learned man or a kinder than he was not to be found among men so these two, during twenty-seven years, receiving at their own charges those who visited Jerusalem in pursuance of a vow, bishops and monks and virgins, edified all who visited them. And they reconciled the schism of Pavlinos, some four hundred monks in all, and winning over every heretic that denied the Holy Spirit, they brought him to the church and they honoured the clergy of the district with gifts and food, and so continued to the end without offending any one. Chapter 47 Cronius and Paphnutius A certain man, named Cronius, of the village called Phoniki, having measured off from his own village, which was near the desert, fifteen thousand steps, counted with his right foot, dug a well there after prayer, and having found very good water forty-two feet away, built himself there a little dwelling, and from the day that he installed himself in this abode he prayed to God that he might never return to an inhabited place. But when a few years had passed, he was counted worthy of the priesthood, a brotherhood of some two hundred men having collected round him. Now this meritorious feature of his asceticism is told, that having officiated at the altar for sixty years, exercising his priesthood, he did not leave the desert, and never ate bread that came from any source but the work of his own hands. With him dwelt one Jacob, who belonged to the neighborhood, surnamed the lame, an exceedingly learned man. Now both were known to the blessed Antony, now one day they were joined by Paphnutius, surnamed named Cephalas, who had the gift of knowledge of the divine scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, interpreting it all without having read the scriptures, but he was so modest that his prophetic virtue was concealed. It is told of him that during eighty years he never wore two tunics together. The Blessed Evagrius and Alvanios and I when we met these men, sought to know the causes of brothers falling away or backsliding or stumbling in the proper life. For it happened in those days that Kerimon, the ascetic, died in a sitting posture, and was found dead on his chair holding his work in his hands. And it happened also that another brother, while digging a well, was swallowed up by the well and another on his way down from Sceti died from lack of water. Then again there was the story of Stephen, who fell into disgraceful profligacy, and of Carpios, and the story of Huron of Alexandria, and the story of Valens of Palestine, and the story of Ptolemy the Egyptian who lived in Sceti. We asked, therefore, what was the reason why the men who lived there in the desert were some of them deceived in their mind, and others shattered by lust? So this was the answer that the most enlightened Paphnutius gave us. Namely, all things that happen are divided into two, what God approves and what He allows. As many things, then, as happen in accordance with virtue for the glory of God, these happen with His approval. But as many, on the contrary, as are fraught with loss and danger, and are due to external crisis or fallings away, these happen with God's permission. But the permission is given in a rational manner. For it is impossible that a man who thinks rightly and lives rightly should succumb to snares of shame or the deceit of demons consequently all who seem to pursue virtue with a corrupt purpose the vice of men pleasing or perverse imagination these also make false steps for god deserts them for their benefit in order that through their desertion they may perceive the difference that results from their change and correct either their intention or their conduct for at one time the will sins when it acts with evil intent at another time also the conduct when it acts corruptly or in the wrong fashion and this indeed often happens that the vicious man with a corrupt purpose gives alms to girls in pursuance of an evil end though he does an apparently good action by giving help to her who is an orphan a solitary or an ascetic but it happens also that men give alms with a right purpose to the sick or aged or those who have lost money but sparingly and with a grumble and the intention is right but the action is unworthy of the intention for it is necessary that the merciful man show mercy gladly and generously they said also this there are good qualities in many souls in some a natural goodness of thought, in others aptitude for asceticism. But whenever some action is not done, or natural goodness not manifested for the sake of the actual good, and those who possess good qualities do not ascribe them to God, the giver of all good things, but to their own free will, natural goodness, and capacity, then such men are deserted, and are involved either in disgraceful conduct or experience and in shame and by means of the consequent humiliation and shame gradually lose the pride felt in their pretended virtue for when the man who is puffed up with pride pluming himself on the natural charm of his discourse does not ascribe to god the natural charm or even the supply of knowledge but to his own application or natural gifts God withdraws from him the angel of foreknowledge. When this angel is removed, then overpowered by the adversary, the man who plumes himself on his natural charm falls into licentiousness through his presumption, in order that, the witness of his self-control being withdrawn, the words spoken by such men may be no longer worthy of credit while religious men shun the teaching which proceeds from such a mouth as if it were a fountain containing leeches, so that the Scripture is fulfilled. But to the sinner said God, Why dost thou recount my judgments and takest my covenant in thy mouth? For truly the souls of the vicious are like divers fountains. The gluttonous and wine lovers are like muddy fountains the covetous and greedy like fountains with frogs. Others, envious and haughty, but with an aptitude for knowledge, are like fountains which cherish serpents, in which reason is always floating, but no one likes to draw from them because of the bitterness of their character. This is why David demanded three things in his prayer, goodness and discipline and knowledge. For without goodness, Knowledge is not good, and if such a man corrects himself, putting away the cause of his abandonment, that is, pride, and recovers humility, and recognizes his own measure, not exalting himself against anyone, and thanking God, then knowledge attested by proof returns to him. For spiritual words, which do not have as an escort a sober and disciplined life, are like ears of corn blasted by the wind they have the outward appearance of corn but have been robbed of their nutritive value therefore every fall whether by the tongue or by perception or by action or by the whole body tends to produce abandonment in proportion to the presumption though god spares those who are abandoned for if in the midst of their vice THE LORD WILL BEAR WITNESS TO THEIR NATURAL GRACE BY PROVIDING THEM WITH ELOQUENCE. ARROGANCE TURNS THEM INTO DEMONS, PUFFED UP WITH UNCLEANNESS. AND THOSE MEN TOLD US THIS, TOO. WHEN YOU SEE A MAN IRREGULAR IN HIS LIFE, BUT PLAUSIBLE IN SPEECH, REMEMBER THE DEMON WHO CONVERSED WITH CHRIST USING THE WORDS OF SCRIPTURE AND THE WITNESS WHICH SAYS, now the serpent was the most subtle of all the beasts on the earth. In his case intelligence has the rather resulted in harm, since no other virtue accompanied it. For the faithful and good man must think the thoughts which God gives, and say what he thinks, and do what he says. For if the relationships of a man's life do not accord with the truth of his words, he is, as Job says, like bread without salt, which will in no case be eaten, or, if eaten, will make those who eat it ill. Shall bread be eaten without salt, he says? And is there any taste in vain words, which are not fulfilled by the witness of the works? Now these are the causes of the abandonings, in one case because of hidden virtue, that it may be revealed, as was Job's, God speaking to him and saying, Reject not my judgment, nor think that I have spoken to thee for any other reason than that thou mightest be shown to be righteous. For thou wast known to me who see secret things, but when thou wast unknown to men, people supposing that thou wast serving me because of wealth, I brought on the disaster, I cut off the wealth, that I might show them thy philosophy of gratitude. In other cases it is to avert pride as with paul for paul was abandoned being tossed about in misfortunes and buffetings and divers afflictions and he said there was given me a thorn in the flesh an angel of satan to buffet me lest i should be exalted lest perhaps in the midst of his marvellous works both the repose and the prosperity and the honour which accrued to him might cast him gaping with vanity into diabolical pride. The paralytic was abandoned because of sins, as Jesus says, See, thou art made whole, sin no more. Judas was abandoned, because he loved money more than the word, wherefore also he hanged himself. Esau also was abandoned, and fell into dissolute conduct preferring the grossness of entrails to his father's blessing. So that considering all these things Paul said concerning some, as they refused to have God in their knowledge, God gave them up unto a reprobate mind to do things which are not fitting, and concerning certain others who seemed to have the knowledge of God with a corrupt mind. Since knowing God, they glorified him not as God, neither gave him thanks. For this cause God gave them up unto vile passions. So that from these instances we know that it is impossible that any should fall into dissolute conduct unless he has first been abandoned by God's providence. Chapter 48 Elpidius In the caves of the Amorites, round about Jericho, which they excavated long ago when they fled from Joshua the son of Nun, who was ravaging then the aliens on the mountains of Ducas, there lived a certain Elpidius, a Cappadocian, afterwards counted worthy of the priesthood. Having been a member of the monastery of Timothy, the Cappadocian country bishop, a very able man, he came and settled in one of the caves. He showed such self-discipline in his asceticism as to put all others in the shade. For during his twenty-five years' life there he used to take food only on Sunday and Saturday and would spend the night standing up and singing psalms. With him, reigning like a little king in the midst of his bees, lived the multitude of the brethren, and I too lived with him, and thus he made the mountain a veritable city and one could see their different modes of life once a scorpion stung this elpitius as he sang psalms by night and we two were singing with him he trod it under foot nor did he even move from his standing position despising the pain caused by the scorpion one day as a brother was holding a vine-cutting he took it as he sat at the declivity of the mountain and dug a hole for it as if planting it, though it was not the season. It grew big, and became a vine large enough to give shade to the church. In his company also a certain Anesius reached perfection, a worthy man, and so did epistathius his brother. To such a height of impassivity did he attain in drawing up his body that the sun shone through his bones, THE STORY IS TOLD BY HIS ZEALOUS DISCIPLES THAT HE NEVER TURNED TO GAZE TOWARDS THE WEST BECAUSE THE MOUNTAIN WITH ITS HEIGHT DOMINATED THE DOOR OF THE CAVE. NOR DID HE EVER SEE THE SUN AFTER THE SIXTH HOUR, HAVING PASSED OVERHEAD AND NOW DESCENDING TOWARDS THE WEST, OR EVEN THE STARS THAT RISE IN THE WEST, FOR TWENTY-FIVE YEARS. FROM THE TIME HE ENTERED THE CAVE HE DID NOT DESCEND FROM THE MOUNTAIN UNTIL HE WAS BURIED. End of part 7